You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, I know it is uh, hot in here, uh, but we have our exhaust fans running, and so it's hotter, it's cooler than it would be otherwise. So just keep telling yourself that over and over again, that this is probably the, the best we've been able to ventilate the building in the last seven years since we've been here. So I know they really suffered the last seven years, and we haven't had it nearly as bad this year. Uh, there are a few times, uh, in my life at least, that I have seen, uh, I kind of call them where heaven meets earth moments. You know, it's those times when God just moves in a real unique and real powerful way where you can't really claim any credit. You know, it's just like totally God doing His thing. Well, I had one of those uh, experiences this, this, uh, this past week, or actually last week. I had gotten together with one of my neighbors um, that lives behind me, and uh, we were working on planning out our yearly block party. It's something that we do together every year. We, we close down the street, uh, and then we put on this block party for all of our neighbors. And so we were trying to, trying to get that going. And so we're sitting there. Uh, we're up at a pub uh, having a conversation. And, um, and kind of in the middle of the conversation, uh, he, says, uh, he says, something really interesting happened to me recently. Uh, he said, you know, you guys know that we're heathens, right? And referring to himself, right? And he was like, what I mean by that is we don't go to church. Like, we don't, you know, we don't talk to our, our, we don't talk to our kids about God. They don't know anything about Jesus. Uh, he had grown up uh, in the church uh, when he was real young, so he, he, know, he knows about it. And he's like, we, you know, we've just chosen to, to raise our children differently. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I know this about you. And so he said, well, this past week, uh, we were riding in the car, and his five-year-old from the back seat, kind of out of nowhere, says, uh, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And he kind of like puts on the brakes, and he's like, what? And he was like, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And he's like, um, Etta, who, who told you that? And she's like, nobody told me that. I believe that. And so he was like, okay, sure. You know, somebody's like secretly like infiltrating his children with this message. And so he tells me that he calls up the preschool, and he asks the preschool, like, hey, have you guys been uh, talking to my kid about uh, Jesus, and he was like, and they said, well, no, we have a no religion policy. Like, we don't talk about that at the preschool, and we, don't, we also don't allow the kids to talk about it at the preschool. Um, they need to find another topic of conversation. So uh, he calls up uh, some of his family members uh, and says, hey, you know, did you guys have this conversation with Etta? Because it's not like he was opposed to the conversation. I think he just wanted to know the source, right, where it's coming from. And they were like, no, we've never talked to the children uh, about it. And, and, uh, and I told them, like, hey, man, I'm not, like, secretly throwing flyers over the fence. Or, or anything like that. Like, like I've never had that conversation uh, with, with, with your kid about it. And I, re- and, I, and I couldn't help but laugh. Like, I was just sitting there laughing because it was one of those moments that God intervened in this child's life, you know? And, and he, there are times when God does that, when He comes and just makes something known that had not previously been known. Well, kind of the ironic thing about this, state, this, this whole interaction is I've been trying for years to have like good, solid, you know, gospel conversations with this guy. And, and all my conniving, you know, and all my real clever ways we try to be missional and engage with people and stuff like that, God just came down and, and intervened. Well, can you guys imagine what his next question was to me? So what do you guys believe about God? I'm like slow pitched from God, you know, here it comes. And, and right there in Chillenville, I was able to 
articulate and explain the gospel to him in, in more clear ways than I've ever had in, in any of our conversations, through and through, right? It's because God, well, you don't have to clap for me. We can clap for God. Like God, God intervened. He, he did something in that moment. Like I said, we've been neighbors for over five years, but I had to be patient to allow God to present the opportunity. And those opportunities do come as God uh, works. Uh, last week, uh, as, a, as a church, we're going through the book of Jonah, uh, and we've decided to leverage the book of Jonah to talk about evangelism as a, as a church community. As you know, uh, Jonah's a story about a, a prophet that God calls uh, to go to a, a pagan city named Nineveh and uh, tell them that God's going to judge them uh, because of their sin. And as you know, the story goes, Jonah runs from God. Uh, he runs from that call. Uh, God brings a storm upon the boat that he's trying to run away in. Uh, he's thrown overboard to kind of appease God, and then it says a big fish swallows Jonah. Uh, Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish, and then Jonah is vomited up onto the ground. It's a lovely picture, and, uh, and that's where our story picks up here today of Jonah uh, resigning himself to be obedient to go and to bring the message that God has uh, for the Ninevites. And so Royce spent a lot of time last week talking through this idea of, of who God is calling each of us uh, to go to. Um, and Royce, right toward the end of his message, he, he said that we, we, we are obedient to go, but the problem isn't the who, right? I mean, we can't say, oh man, I have no idea who God's calling me to bring a message to. The problem is the how, right? That's where it starts to break down is, is we build these relationships, but we just don't know what to do next in order to present the gospel clearly. So in today's message, what I want to focus on is the how, because Jonah demonstrates a how. It's not the only how, but it's definitely a how and how to bring uh, the gospel. And, and I don't know where you are in your journey with God. Maybe you, like Jonah, have, have resigned yourself or been obedient to uh, bring the gospel to a certain place, a certain context. You've built up these gospel relationships, but you're afraid that if you say something, you're going to mess the whole thing up. So let's spend the day talking about exactly what it is, what is our responsibility in evangelism. I'm also going to be preaching next week. I'm going to wrap up Jonah chapter 4. And next week's message is going to be on God's sovereignty in evangelism. So I encourage you guys, these messages are kind of going to go hand in hand. There's a lot of stuff I'm not going to talk about this week because we're going to hit it next week. So I'd love for you guys to, to come and uh, participate in both of those things. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand up together. We're going to read Jonah chapter 3. We're going to sweat and uh, we're going to continue on. So uh, it's going to be up here on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. I'm going to read it, and uh, you guys can follow along uh, all of Jonah chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 10. It says, uh, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went, and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was, ex was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth 
and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we spend time now uh, studying your word and, uh, and trying to know and understand your word, I just pray you'd open up our hearts uh, to know truth, uh, and you would also open up our hearts to any repentance that needs to happen in our lives and any steps of obedience that we need to take uh, from uh, your word. So we want to hear from you now during this time. We ask this in your name. Amen. You guys have a seat. One of the important things to remember when reading the book of Jonah is the type of book. Jonah's actually, uh, it's in the Minor Prophets, but Jonah's an autobiography. It was, as far as we can tell, Jonah rewriting the accounts of the whole adventure. And because it was an autobiography, I believe that Jonah chooses to leave out certain details, okay? So that's a big thing to understand. He doesn't tell us all of, all of what happened, but he tells us three really important things that happened that we need to know. It's a story with a point. Also, another important thing that we need to understand when we read Jonah, it was, it was uh, by him, but also um, the story, lost my place here, sorry. Okay. Oh, and the other thing was, sorry, I'd gone down too far. The other thing is, Jonah is trying to be a real creative writer, so, which is something that not all the prophets necessarily choose to do. But I think Jonah has a certain placement of his text. So if you guys can remember, when we think back to Jonah chapter 1, we're going to put it up here on the screen. This is what God says to Jonah the first time when he tells him to go. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It's in Jonah 1. Uh, and then Verse 3, it says that Jonah refused. He runs from the, from the Lord. Well, you go through that whole experience, the boat, the fish. Well, look how Jonah decides to start off his second chapter here. It's like the story starts all over again. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. But this time, it's call out against it the message that I tell you. So this time, God has a specific message for Nineveh. So we know that Jonah arises. He goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah is getting the message that God wants to use him. Jonah will be the face of God's grace to the Ninevites. He is the chosen one, and he is going to accept that responsibility. I think one of the first things that we, uh, as we look at this text and what we can learn from Jonah, is that we have a responsibility to go and speak, and God chooses who we are to speak to. God chooses who the evangelist is. Now, the Bible is full of people who try to run away from the will of God or uh, basically don't believe that God wants to use them. You think through examples like Sarah. God comes to Sarah and Abraham, says that he wants to make them a blessing uh, to the world. He's going to create a great nation out of them. What does Sarah do to God? Well, she laughs, right? We have other stories uh, like Moses. God goes to Moses and tells him, I want to use you to rescue the Egyptians out of Egypt. Moses tries to defer to Aaron, like maybe there's somebody else out there that's better because of my stuttering. We think about stories like Gideon. God goes to Gideon. He's a judge and says, Gideon, I want you to rescue my people. You're going to be a mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, um, I'm the least in my family. Like, what about one of my brothers? Why don't you choose them? How about King Saul? When God chooses Saul, where is Saul when he goes to be appointed as king, he's hiding among the baggage is what it says. The Bible is full of imperfect people, 
But we need to realize that God does not choose imperfectly. Okay? You are God's perfect evangelist to someone and to some context. Just kind of let that sit in for a minute. If we have that responsibility, that call, if when Jesus told his disciples to go out and take the Great Commission, the great commission to the whole world and make disciples, he, he meant that for all of his followers. So that means that I then have a responsibility to take the gospel to someone. Jesus said the same thing here in, the, in John's recording of the Great Commission, really similar. Uh, he said, peace be to you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So if you are a, a God's peace to the world, that means that there's a really specific context that God has called you to take the gospel. Well, how do we know exactly what that is? How do we know who it is that God has called us to take? How do I know whether I should speak or whether I should just uh, be silent? Well, God does this in a number of different ways, and He calls people to speak in a number of different ways. I think sometimes God actually does speak audibly and says, I want you to go to this place like he did Jonah. I have heard those stories. I have not personally ever heard God audibly speak in my life, but I've met people that I respect that have heard God speak, and God's told them to do stuff. I think that that happens, but I think it's rare, okay? I think the second way that we hear God speak is God speaks through his word. I think God speaks very clearly through the Bible as we're reading the Bible and we're reading things right then and there. I believe God uses that in a real powerful way to speak. It's how we wound up here in Oregon from Alabama. Uh, God, through his word, said, hey, I want you guys to go and do this. And so we moved up here. But I think there's a third way that God speaks that we are probably most oblivious to. And I believe that God speaks through everyday life, everyday circumstances, If God is sovereign, He's the creator, then that means that He is sovereignly ordaining all of the relationships and all of the encounters that we have in life. So when we start to think about life that way, it makes all of those kind of happen, nothing's really happenstance anymore. It's really divinely ordained. So that means that God chooses who sits in the cubicle next to you and what's going on in that person's life, right? It means that God chooses who your annoying neighbors are. I know you thought that you were just buying that house because you liked the floor plan, but God put you there as a missionary in a context. Hey, kids, listen up. God chooses who's in your class with you. He chooses who you sit next to in class. I know you thought your teacher did that. But God actually chooses who's on your left and who's on your right and who who you become friends with. Madison, God chooses who's on your soccer team. That's pretty cool, isn't it? it? It wasn't Coach Matt. It wasn't the North Portland Soccer League. God chose those things. God chooses who you ride next to on the max. God chooses who you ride next to on a plane on your next business trip or the mom that you run into in the store. We have to begin to look at life as a series of evangelistic opportunities and be obedient to speak in whatever way God calls us uh, to speak. Well, what about the message? What is it that we say when we're there? Well, let's look at, at Jonah's message first. God, 
uh, chooses Jonah, and he sends him to Nineveh. And it says that Nineveh is a, is a great city. Well, this is pretty interesting. You know, when you read it, it sounds like it's so big that it took Jonah three days to get across the city. And like a day in, he was kind of in the middle, and all of a sudden, he, the Ninevites start repenting. That's the way the text reads. But I think Jonah's trying to be kind of clever here. We actually know that Nineveh wasn't all that big. Here's a picture of a wall. You can still go and visit Nineveh today. It's in modern-day Mosul, Iraq. I wouldn't recommend it at the time. There's a lot of stuff going on in that part of the the world right now. But you can go and see the ruins of Nineveh today. You can see the borders of the city. It wasn't great in size, but it was great in influence. At one point, Nineveh is going to become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And I believe what it took Jonah was it would have taken him three days to walk through the whole city and share this message back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But a day in of wandering around with this really simple message, God starts to work powerfully in the hearts of the Ninevites. The message that God gives Jonah is is pretty simple. Now, like I said, we don't know all of what Jonah said. I think he said more than what the text includes. But the summary, the gist of the message is, hey, in 40 days, God's going to destroy Nineveh. I think it's funny just to, to, for me to try to visualize this happening. Okay, you've got Jonah wandering through a city, calling the city to repentance, telling them in a very secular pagan city. I mean, God chooses Nineveh because it's, it's evil. It's living in a way that is not only not the way that his people should live, it's not the way that human beings should live, right? And so he's calling them uh, to repent. And Jonah just shares that message. And I think that's funny because if I was Jonah... I probably wouldn't have done it that way. You know, in our story telling society, I would have found like a nice corner where a lot of people were, and I would have told the story of the fish, right? I mean, that'll preach, right? You can't meet an evangelist that doesn't have this really cool evangelistic story that they have. Sat down there, talked all about being in the belly of the fish and what that was like and how God had orchestrated all this stuff to be here. But it doesn't look like Jonah necessarily does any of that stuff. He just walks around preaching out loud. <laughs> Repent! For God is going to destroy you in 40 days. And it works. I mean, mean, imagine the the street preacher in downtown Portland with his megaphone, wandering up and down downtown Portland, calling people to repent. He was there this past week. If you ever go downtown, there's always the blue guy. Have you guys seen the blue guy with the megaphone? He was down there this past week. Uh, Me and the girls were down there for a a concert uh, uh, in a park. And he was down there on the street corner preaching. It wasn't very effective. There wasn't a whole lot of people standing around. A lot of people were avoiding him. But he was preaching that message. And just so you guys know, if you go downtown, there's also a church down there giving away $5 free Ben & Jerry's ice cream uh, cards. Um, So you might want to go down there. (laughs) I got saved twice, guys. It was awesome. (laughs) For a $5 Ben & Jerry's uh, gift card, uh, it was pretty sweet. So me and my kids are going to get some ice cream later today. But like I said, and if it was me and our storytelling society, I would have done it completely different. Uh, But Jonah does what God is calling him to do. And the cool thing is, I mean, it works, right? I mean, God works in the heart of the Ninevites. I really don't, I think the message was just that, that truth that needed to come in order for them to repent. And it says that there was mass repenting in the text from the king to the animals, which is weird. But it, I mean, the text kind of reads like Jonah's wandering through the town, the people start repenting, and eventually it gets up to the king. 
And then the king issues this mass decree, and everybody starts repenting. But I think more likely what happened is uh, Jonah's wandering through the town. Everyone hears the message. Even the king hears the message. The king calls everybody to repent. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They fast, and there is mass repenting in the city of Nineveh. God works like this at times. Uh, The great awakenings that have happened, uh, the first great awakening, uh, and then the second great awakening that happened here in the U.S., and there was kind of a third one. You can read historically more stories of God doing this, just the presence of God falling on a town, the whole town uh, coming to repentance. Um, I think if God tells you that right now you need to get up and you need to go stand in the square in downtown St. John's with your megaphone and you need to preach that message, you probably should. I would be really surprised if that happens. I think you should have like a clear, like you got to hear the voice of God personally if you're going to have me get behind you going and doing that. You need to be swallowed by a dragon and spit back out or something like that if you're going to go into our downtown St. John's and preach the gospel in that way. But you need to be open to the fact that God may be calling you to do that, okay? He does work in that way. But I want to propose to you guys, that's not the only way that God works. I think He does work in us as individuals in everyday life. And I believe as a church, if we're going to reach this community, it's not going to be in the square. And it's not going to be from uh, a, a real strong evangelistic service that I do here at Red Sea. I believe, from, I believe it's going to come from us as individuals going out into our circle relationships and sharing God in that way. So what I'm going to ask you guys to do I'm going to ask you guys to be clever and to be wise in how you evangelize people. Now, you may say, well, how can you tell me to do that? Because Jesus told his disciples to do that. Look here, it says in, in, in John again, behold, I, Jesus taught, this is the first time Jesus is going to send his disciples out on one of their kind of short-term evangelistic missions, right? This is what he says to them, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So Jesus commands his disciples to be, have some cunning in the way, like a snake would, but also don't be malicious, right? You need to be, need to be honest, but you need to be uh, innocent before people. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be obedient and to say, okay, I want to be, I want to be shrewd, but at the same time, uh, I don't want to like trick people, right? I, I, I don't want a gimmick, right? In all, honesty, in all honesty, I would never give you guys $5 gift cards and send you to downtown Portland to hand them out. It's a gimmick, you know? And about halfway through that spiritual survey they wanted me to take, they're trying to slide the gospel. I'm like, oh, hang on a second. I thought I was just getting a $5 gift card. This is Portland, right? And I don't deny that God works in mysterious ways, but I just think there's a better way, church. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put this up here. It's, it's called the evangelism. I'm calling it the evangelism matrix. Uh, Bill Clem, uh, in his book, Disciples, kind of walks through these things. Uh, Royce is not here this week. But I think he would be so proud of me that I'm using a four-box matrix to talk about evangelism with you guys, right? He would get goosebumps at this moment. But what I love about this is it kind of walks through this idea of what's it look like to be wise when it comes to evangelism. And it breaks down evangelism into four different opportunities. We can declare, we can disclose, we can display, 
and we can defend. And each one of those is based on the context that you're in. There's a word and kingdom context. There's a kingdom and incarnation context, a culture and incarnation context, and a culture and word context. So I want to walk with you guys through this. The first one is to declare. I believe that sometimes God says, I want you to go to this place, and I'm going to give you an opportunity, and I want you to to declare the Word of God in the kingdom of God in a way that may not even make sense to the people that are hearing it. It will not always be culturally friendly. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is intolerance in an age of tolerance, right? So we can't expect that people will always understand the message that we are bringing to them. It takes God softening their hearts to this message. When I met my neighbor in the pub this past week and he asked me what I believed about God, I did not hold back that I believe Jesus was the only way to God. And it doesn't matter how many good works you do, it will not save you. It is only through the repentance of your sin and the blood of Jesus being placed upon us on the cross that we are made right in the eyes of God. What he wanted me to say was our church believes that you should be a really good person and you should think the best and you should serve as much as you can in the community and we'll all go to heaven one day. The problem is that is not the gospel. That is not what the kingdom of of God is about. That is not what Jesus preached. And so we have to preach the truth of the gospel. We have to declare the word of God. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 18, and then I'm going to skip down to 21. This is what he says to the church. He says, for the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then down in 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. If you, if you have these relationships with these people that you've been building, and you think, if I tell them the truth, they are going to bail, you need to know that is God's responsibility. It is not yours. Now, I think you need to be wise in those opportunities. You don't need to shove it down people's throats. You have to be patient, and you have to be obedient to speak when you feel God moving and allowing those opportunities to speak. But know that this message may sound foolish, but that's okay. It's God's message, and it's He's the one that saves, not us. If my neighbor winds up coming to church here so that his daughter can hear about Jesus and know the stories of the Bible— I praise God. That would be awesome. I hope that happens. But God may have other plans for him. I was obedient to say what God asked me to say in a loving way, over a beer, right? And that seed of the gospel has been planted. And what God chooses to have that seed grow into is completely up to God. It's not up to me. But there's another time, I believe, when we are not supposed to declare We're going to go back to the matrix here. I think there's time when God causes us to disclose. Now, this comes between incarnation and kingdom. To disclose basically implies that there's something hidden about the kingdom of God. There's something secret that needs to be made known. We know that Jesus incarnated to this earth 
But Jesus, as he lived on this earth, he lived in such a radical way that was evangelistic about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus preached the kingdom of God, but he also called people to live in a radical way to, uh, representing the kingdom of God. This is what the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about at the very beginning of, of, of Jesus's like ministry. He came, he incarnated to a particular context. He came, but he lived in a way that represented another kingdom and another world. We are called to live in such a way that discloses something about this secret kingdom that our actions can speak so that they can back up the words when God calls us to disclose. Paul talks about this too in a second letter to the church at Corinth. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 2 through 6. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We've refused to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, who is Satan, little g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, our cunning that Jesus calls his disciples to, I don't believe is to tamper with the Word of God. We address that in the False Teachers series in the book of Jude. It's not to make ourselves look like the world. We also talked about that in the book of Jude. But Paul tells the church that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the unbelievers. And the best way that we can participate in shining darkness into this light of veiled people is by living lives that are not disgraceful and do not participate in underhanded ways. Just by living according to the kingdom of God and not giving in to living a life in the way the world tells you to live is incredibly evangelistic. I believe in all honesty that the world is supposed to see us, those people who are not unbelievers, they're supposed to look at the church and say, there's something weird about those people. We are supposed to be strange in all the right ways because we are otherworldly people. We live for a different kingdom. We have a whole nother king. So there should be something unique about your life in the way that you live. Okay. If I had a soapbox, I would stand on it right now. It's a soapbox time. Uh, this is going to be the gospel according to Josh, right? Paul does this a couple of times in his letters. He said, this is not the gospel of Jesus. This is just me. Here's my soapbox. If you are going to make a stand, okay, for something, politically, uh, socially, you need to understand, and we, we need to understand that our allegiance lies with the King of Kings, okay? So if you're going to take the name of God, and you, as a Christian, and you're going to say, I believe this, or I think this is right, when it comes to all these social issues that are out there, you need to understand that you are taking God's name and associating it with that thing by calling yourself a Christian. 
if you do that, and that is not what God is about, and that is not a part of His kingdom, it's called blasphemy, and it has an eternal consequence that comes along with it. Okay? So I'm not going to talk about all the different issues. Uh, here at Red Sea, we typically only talk about it, political issues when the text talks about it, right? I don't get up here and pre- try, try really hard not to preach politics to you guys. But you cannot separate yourself and your convictions and being a representative of God. So we have to be very careful where we plant our flag and what we decide to fight on, okay? Using social media as evangelism and to try to promote a political idealism is, is not evangelistic. Why? It may be sharing truth, but you're not sharing your life. And Jesus calls his people to share both their words and their lives. And, my per- and this is where the gospel of Josh comes in. Personally, if I can't share my life, I'm not going to share my words. Because they can't see the God that lives inside of me. They can't see the kingdom values that I represent. They don't know my heart. So I'm not going to get on a political bandwagon because of that reason, because I am held accountable of the words that come out of my mouth, and not only the words that come out of my mouth, my tweets and my posts, okay? We need to disclose, but we need to be cunning at the same time. Soapbox done. Third box, defend. I'm sorry, I skipped over one. Display. Next, what we have between incarnation and culture, we are called to display. This is where we believe acts of compassion and mercy can be evangelistic. This is why we serve the homeless. This is why we feed them or we will house them. This is why we give out the blessing bags that are available in the foyer when you see them on the corner. This is why we're doing a compassion clinic in two weeks because we serve a merciful God. And he has called us to also be merciful. Now notice, it comes between incarnation and culture. It's going to look different based on where you are in a particular culture. To go in and to love in that, in that culture is very, very different. Uh, two Sundays ago, maybe just a few of you guys noticed this, Royce was about to start preaching and a guy came wandering to the lounge. And he asked, he asked to speak to a pastor. And so I was close by, I was getting some coffee. And he came up to me and he said, um, I need gas money to get back home. And he's like, I've been wandering up and down the streets of St. John's asking to do work so that I could get some ga- earn some gas money so I can fill up my car with gas and I can get back home. And he was like, the reason I'm here is because all of the businesses or the businesses that he interacted with on St. John's on the street strip, you know where they told him to go? Here. They said, if you go to that church, that church will help you. That's right. And we will, and we did. And I walked over to the, gos- to the uh, gas station with him, and I filled up his conversation with gas. But you know what? God presented an opportunity to, dis- to, uh, to declare the gospel. And as his ga- as car was getting filled, the gospel was declared, right? We, and I'm not saying that you, these categories work independently. There's a lot of overlap. But don't think that you always have to dis- declare, or you always have to disclose, or you always have to display. It's going to use a certain amount of wisdom. But I guarantee you, in your everyday life, you're always going to have an opportunity to do one of those four things that are up there. 
Let's be wise in how we choose to do it. Last one here, defend. Uh, I love what uh, Peter says here, 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but your hearts, they honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet you do it with gentleness and respect. Apologists, or people who practice apologetics in the church, they use this verse many times to say that you should be preaching nonstop. He says you should always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason that's in Christ and hope Jesus. Just do it in a way in gentleness and respect. But when you read this verse in context, Paul's talking to a church who is suffering because of the way that they are displaying the, the kingdom of God and what they are standing for. They're suffering, right? And the same people that are causing them to suffer is looking at their lives, and they're seeing all this joy that they have in the midst of the suffering. And it's in that context when, they, when they, the world comes and say, how can you be this happy? How can you have joy in the midst of that horrible whatever you just went through? In that context, Peter tells the church, be prepared. When they ask, be prepared and do it in gentleness and do it with respect. Defending what you believe on social media is not always prepared to have a reason for the hope of what Jesus Christ believes. I really don't believe it is. I believe it's in those relationships with those people that you have built over time you've invested, that you shared your life with them, that God works powerfully and can lead them to repentance. When you look at this box, I don't think it looks that different from our Pathways model that we promote here at Red Sea. It's just another way of saying the same thing that we've always said, right? When you put up the, four different, the three different pathways that we have to deploy into culture, uh, we're going to put it up here on the screen. They, they fit real nicely, right? Declare is evangelism. Disclose is hospitality. Display is service. Defend, once again, it's evangelism, right? This isn't heresy. This is what we've always been doing here at Red Sea. It's just a different way to look at it. It's a different way to look at everyday life. So back to Nineveh. Nineveh was actually only spared temporarily. If you know... Uh, Knew the story, know the story historically. Um, God calls Jonah to go to this one place at this one town, and God does an amazing work. I believe the point of the book of Genesis and the reason that God put it in the canon is to tell, teach us about how incredibly compassionate God is. That's the whole point of Jonah. Like, God loves these people and wants, to re- wants them to repent because God's sovereign. He knows what ha- what's going to happen. God knows that just a short time later, the Ninevites will completely return to their idolatry. They will become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. But then God will use them to punish Israel. They will be one of the nations that evade when there's the two kingdoms of Israel and will be part of that process of, of seeing the people move into captivity, which eventually happens under the Babylonians. When the Babylonians come in, the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to wipe out Nineveh. The Assyrian empire will be no more. But God loved those people and he demonstrated that love by sending Jonah. God once again will send the prophet Nahum. Nahum will go to Nineveh. And he will tell them, hey, repent, you're going to be destroyed, but they'll refuse to repent the second time. So Jonah was just a man 
who was able to bring a message that had a temporary effect. But when we read the Old Testament, we know that it points towards something greater. Jonah is going to point toward another preacher, right? Jonah's going to, point, going to point to a preacher named Jesus who's going to incarnate to a town. He's going to come to earth, and he's not only going to preach a message of repentance of sin, he's also going to be the way that those people receive that forgiveness of sin. Jonah brought a message of repentance. Jesus was the way of repentance. He was the one that actually pays the debt. God will destroy Nineveh because of their sin, and God will destroy Jesus because of ours. Wow. Makes us even more grateful for Jesus Christ. The the fact that we get to live right now, and we get to bring this message of hope and reconciliation. Andrew's going to head back up here. I would pray as a church that, that we would have a sense of urgency because I do believe there's a day of judgment. There's, a, there's another time of punishment coming in God's plan and in His story. And we have the, the hope, right? If, if, you, if you had the keys to set prisoners free who were, set, who were wrongly accused and set for, edu- set for judgment, or maybe even they were rightly accused, but somebody came in and paid their debt, would you, would you not go and set those people free? If you were on a ship and the ship in front of you sinks and everybody's drowning, would you not throw them a life preserver, right? But yet, how many times through our everyday life do we, are we so narrow-minded in these gospel divine opportunities that happen every day, over and over and over again. Let's be wise. Let's be loving and innocent with those opportunities. As we come now and we prepare to take communion and we prepare our hearts, let's take our cues from Nineveh and let's humble ourselves. Nineveh modeled right repentance. They said, we are evil. We do need a God. We are sinful beings. So we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to display that. That's what we do when we come to this table. We humble ourselves. We believe a debt was paid that we owed. We let that that grace that Jesus paid wash over us. And you know what it does? It makes us more gracious. It makes us more compassionate. And so as we leave this place, we leave having our hearts reminded Man, I was, I'm the Ninevites in the story, aren't I? But I was given grace that I didn't deserve. And now I want to go and be Jonah. I want to be the messenger of that same grace. I'm going to pray right now, and I'm just going to pray that God would continue to do a work here in this church community. I, one of the things I love about this, this church is you guys all have these relationships already built in. I love that we're a church that doesn't live in a bubble but spends a lot of time hanging out with people and interacting with people. I just pray that God would allow us to have our eyes open to those opportunities. And let's just ask God, right? Let's say, God, would you, would you provide more opportunities like you did in the pub? Would you work? Would you do what you did in Nineveh in these hearts and just open up people's hearts to repentance? Maybe it's that we're not asking God enough. 
Let's ask and let's trust and let's move forward in faith. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, please, God, use us, use your people. We are here humbling ourselves before you because you said that when you leave, until you return, it's us. And you said throughout your story, thousands of years, that you wanted to use your people in a powerful way to display the gospel. And now we are those people. We are the face of the grace of God. Open up our hearts to what that looks like and who those people are, whether it's our neighbors or our family members, or it's our classmates or the kids on our team, it's our, our co-workers. It's the people that we will ride bikes next to later this afternoon. It's the neighbors around this church that will hear the gospel and that will come in. Use us, God, but more than us, Father, we would just ask for your Holy Spirit to move powerfully in this place. That the gospel seed would be planted and in, in, uh, as we de- disclose and as we um, defend and as we declare and as we display that those seeds of the gospel would produce a fruit and you would water it, God, and it would grow. We ask that your will be done in our lives. And we can trust that you're doing it because we've asked. Thank you, God. Thank you for that surety that we find. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.